As I begin my sharing today, I want you to know how pleased I am to be here. Uh, Memorial Day, any day, <laughs> Sunday, Saturday, Wednesday, whatever, we are God's people joined together in fellowship with greetings and joy, with love and appreciation and respect. And even as we think about Memorial Day, I think about all the military people, but it is a memorial of those that were lost. And for that, every one of us should be deeply grateful. For that, I'm very deep, deeply grateful. And I was privileged to serve in the Army, in the Army Reserve for seven years when I was just a young man a long, long time ago. <laughs> but I'm very thankful, and I'm mostly thankful that I have the privilege of sitting before you today. By the way, do you know that Jesus sat when he taught and preached? I want you to realize that. There is wonderful precedent. Now, he sat on a rock. I sit on this nice stool. But if you look at the fifth chapter of Matthew, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the first phrase says, he went up the hill and sat down and began to teach. Hallelujah. I sure am glad I can sit. But I appreciate it. And I appreciate being here mostly because you folks are allowing me and praying with me and praying for me as I share very, very, very important things about the Lord, about church life, about the fellowship. And I'm excited today to be able to share with you in just a moment. But I want always for you to know that what I say comes from the Lord. And it comes from the book. And it comes from the Holy Spirit. And I tell people, as far as my ministry in any phase or any function, sitting here before you today and sharing words, or in my office for counseling, which I sit many hours, the only reason I would do that <laughs> is because the Holy Spirit is within me and within this place. And I hope that you understand in your life as a Christian man or woman that it is the Holy Spirit that is the function and the origin, the foundation of your Christian life. And so in that spirit, today, every day, I pray earnestly for the words that I say to be absolutely what God would want me to say, to glorify him to present a message to myself and to you that is edifying and uplifting and wanting the Lord to bless it because all of us need to walk with the Lord and him to walk with us. So in that spirit, would you pray with me, please? Father, we love you so deeply and we honor you this day as we come together as your people, the fellowship, the body of believers here at King's Grant Baptist Church. And we declare before ourselves 
and actually before the world, that you are almighty God, that you are holy and righteous, that you are the planner and the giver, the guide for all of our lives, and we are so thankful that you've already joined us in this place, in worship, in beautiful music, in honoring prayers. I thank you for the music and the prayers already of this morning. And I know that these things are beneficial to each one of us and honoring to your name and to your character and to your lordship. And so we thank you. And I just pray that the things that I share right now for these next few minutes will reflect absolutely what you want us to consider and to know. Because we want to know only what you want us to know. We want to know your truth. We want to know your words. We want to know your plans. We want to know your will, and we ask that that will would come about in us individually, in the families represented in this church, and in this church family, that we would be your people, honoring your name and your ways always. So we commit this time and all that we do into your hands. And we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now today, I have the privilege of sharing with you a story. A story that I trust you are already familiar with. A story that is powerful in the whole scheme of God's plan 2,000 years ago. It is a story of power. It is a story of the power of the Holy Spirit. And through that power, it also becomes a wonderful statement of the power of the fellowship of the believers. That's you and me. And that is thousands and hundreds of thousands of people that have gone before us all the way back to this story that I will share with you today. It is also a story of birth because what I will say to you today represents and indicates to you, and maybe you haven't realized this, but it indicates the birth of the church. Remember how blessed we are to be a part of a church family, a body of believers, a fellowship joined together through the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And this story that I share with you today is the birth and the birthday of the church. And for that, you and I sitting here in this fine church and joined together as the fellowship here, we must be very thankful for this story that goes back 2,000 years and shows us when the church was actually born, the church of Jesus Christ. Remember that he said that he was going to build his church on the rock. And I have declared before you just a few weeks ago that the rock is, in fact, Jesus Christ. And he has and continues to build his church on himself, on his ways, on his teachings, 
And this is the story of when that church was born. Now, you find this story in the first two books of the book of Acts. Now, Acts was written by Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke, the third chapter, I mean, the third book in the New Testament. And so now we see Luke picking up the pen again to write for you and me the story of what happens with the birth of this church and the development of this church and the growth of this church and all the people that were involved in it. Now, I want to encourage you to do something maybe a little bit different. Now, please listen because maybe this is unusual for you. It is something that I have just kind of practiced for years, and it benefits me and I want to share it with you. When I consider, when I read, or when I talk about any of the stories that are in this wonderful book we call the Bible, then I work really hard in my mind to put myself into that story. In fact, to be honest with you, often when I look at Jesus and his apostles, and the people of the Bible, I say to myself, and I say to my Heavenly Father, Lord, I really wish I could have been there. <laughs> what an experience. What a thrill to have been there. But I think in our spirits, with the Lord leading us, we can, in fact, be there of sorts. If, now if you just sit here and say, well, Okay, Don, those are kind of nice words you're saying. But if you will put yourself into this picture, into this story, I think it will mean even more to you. Because you are, in fact, we are, in fact, a part of this story because we are part of, of the, the church of Jesus Christ. And so let me just encourage you, as you think about what I say, as you hear the story about these people the story is about people and about the Lord's work in their lives and the, the sharing that they did. Please do what you can to put yourself in the story. And I'm so pleased to share the story, so let me press on with that. This story begins at the very last moments that Jesus was on this earth. Now, he is already been to the cross he has already resurrected and come back to life thank the lord we serve a risen christ a risen lord and now in the very last moments that he is in this on this earth that we see him and hear him speaking to his followers he is just minutes minutes before he ascends into the clouds. And he's told them that they must remain in Jerusalem until they receive the gift that the Father has promised them. Now, if you want to, not right now, but in your studies, if you want to go back to the 14th chapter of John, Jesus spoke very specifically about the fact that he had to go, that he was going to leave his followers here on this earth. However, as he went and as he was going to go, the Father was going to send another, a comforter, an advocate, 
of power and that they would be blessed with this power that was to come. Well, now Jesus has just said, you go back to Jerusalem and you wait. And you then, and he continues to say this to you and me and to them, you then will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That is still our call, ladies and gentlemen. That's still our mission that is before us. So Jesus has said this in the very last moments of his life. And then the first chapter of Acts tells us that they stood and watched in amazement as he ascended up into the clouds. And they were seeing their master and Lord leave right before their eyes. I can't imagine how they would have felt. Can you? Put yourself there. They've been with him. They've followed him. They've loved him. They've heard from him. And now he is gone. I had one of your men just a little bit ago down in the hallway say, thankfully, that he appreciated the things that I was sharing with you folks, but that he still misses Pastor Ken. How many of y'all miss your former pastor? Hallelujah. And I know you're grieving over that, but you know what grief means? It means you loved him. <laughs> and I say hallelujah to that. And now we're talking about Jesus Christ, our Lord that has gone into the heavens. And they missed him. But they knew what he had said. Go back to Jerusalem. So scripture tells us, and our story goes on to show that these, this group of people... And they believed that there were about 120 followers of Jesus Christ at this time, 120. Now, hang on, folks. It's going to change drastically in our story. But these people went back to Jerusalem, and it tells us that they went into the upper room where they had been staying. Now, remember, these folks were not from Jerusalem. They were from Galilee. There was a different region, but they are in now Jerusalem because the crucifixion has been there. The resurrection has been there. And now, as Jesus has appeared to them, and he told them, you go back to Jerusalem and you wait. And they went back to Jerusalem and they went into that room and what did they do? They waited, but they prayed. They prayed for 10 days. Now I want that to sink in a little bit, folks. <laughs> Yeah, wow, thank you, ma'am. Sometimes I have trouble praying for 10 minutes, and I hate to confess that to you, but we all fall into that trap. But they prayed for 10 days, and it says they prayed constantly. Do you understand that word? It wasn't just, Lord, give me this, thank you for that. Okay, I got to go eat breakfast now. They prayed constantly for 10 days. And for that, we're very grateful. It was all of the apostles, all of the followers that were a part of Jesus' fellowship at that time. And they were praying and praying and praying. And then the story takes a powerful turn. Because the story tells us 
that then in the upper room there was something like a rushing wind and a tongues of fire rested on each one of those people in that upper room. 120 people were filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit and they couldn't help it, but they started talking and praising and singing and all that you would do when the Holy Spirit is on you. And they spilled out into the streets, and it was the day of Pentecost, the birthday of the church, as the Holy Spirit came on these 120 people. And they spilled out, and there was in the streets of Jerusalem thousands of Jewish celebrants. These Jewish people had come from all over the known world. Now think about that. They're in Jerusalem, the holy city, but these people are from all over the known world. They're from Egypt, they're from Arabia, they're from Cappadocia, they're from Pamphylia, they're from Phrygia. Aren't you glad I can pr pronounce all those words? <laughs> I am too. But they are from these different regions from all over the... They speak a different language, each of them, in all of those different regions. The 120 people that have now been filled with the Holy Spirit come out praising God with everything in them. And all of a sudden, all these people from all these other nations are hearing the truth and the power and the praise of Almighty God in their own language. Now, talking about a miracle, because remember, these folks from Galilee, these followers of Jesus, a lot of them were not educated at all. We're not talking about educated people. We're talking about Holy Spirit-filled people. There is a big difference. Now, education's fine. Thank you very much. I know there's educated people in this room. But the Holy Spirit is the origin of this kind of power. And now these people are praising God. And the people from all over the known world, these different countries and different regions, they're saying, are, these, are all these people just from Galilee? Yes. Well, how is it that we hear them talking about their God in our own language? They were amazed. They were dumbfounded, as a matter of fact, the people hearing the 120 that were speaking. And even though they were excited, all these people were getting excited, the, the hearers were getting excited, there's always a mocker. There's always somebody that wants to throw stones or put a, a wet blanket over the excitement and the celebration. And so somebody comes up front and he says, don't do all that. These people are just drunk. That's 9 o'clock in the morning, folks. But they're saying they're just, they're just out of their minds. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're saying. Where is all this coming from? And so here now is the great Peter that steps up before this crowd. Now remember, very important, Peter has now been restored. I said this last week. You remember right at the end of the sermon, I said, Jesus sat before Peter and said, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Three denials the night before the crucifixion, 
three statements of feed my sheep. And I love you, Lord. Peter has been restored. And now Peter and all the rest of the followers of Jesus have been empowered and filled by the Holy Spirit. And Peter stands up to tell these folks one thing. What did Peter want to tell them? They're not drunk. <laughs> they were not drunk. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, the power that had come within them. But all of a sudden, as Peter stands up, please realize and put yourself into this scene. There weren't just 15 or 20 people sitting in front of people. There were thousands of people in the streets of Jerusalem. Thousands. And Peter is now declaring before these thousands of people in a sermon. Peter is now preaching. And do you know what? This is the first time that Peter has ever preached. You ever think about that? If you find another sermon back in his days with Jesus, then let me know. But as I understand it, this is the first time that he had ever preached. And he preached with power and conviction and knowledge and in tunement with the people in the, in the streets. Because he immediately, when he started to preach this sermon there in the second chapter of Acts, he quoted Joel, a prophet of the Old Testament, that these Jewish people in the streets would know about. And he said, you know what Joel said? Joel said, prophesied that God had said that on the last days that God would pour out his power on the people. And your sons and daughters will prophesy and your young men will see visions and your old men will have dreams. And then as the days move toward the coming of Jesus Christ, there will be trouble, there will be difficulties, there will be the sun will be darkened and the moon will turn to blood horrifying things. But then Peter, knowing what he needed to do because of the Holy Spirit in his life, he said, but all of those that call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, please take that to the bank, folks. That's the word of the Lord forever. Call on the name of the Lord, or you will be saved. Peter went on, and then he quoted about Jesus. He presented Jesus Christ to these people. And he said that Jesus is the Messiah and Jesus is the one that God has ordained for purposes of God's forgiveness. And he went on with his sermon and then he quoted David, another powerful man of the Old Testament. And he held David before these Jewish people and talked about David's prophecy about Jesus Christ and the, the honoring that David did to the, to the upcoming of the Messiah. And at the end of these statements about David, Peter said, Israel, please be assured that God Almighty has made this Jesus Christ both Lord and Christ. Now, what that means is that the Lord is the master and that he is the Christ. He is the promised Messiah. That was where Peter basically impacted in this sermon. And he told these people that Jesus was the Lord and the Messiah. And the people, the story tells us, were cut to their heart 
they were impacted beyond measure. And they cried out to Peter, Peter, what must we do to be saved? Do you realize what's happening here? The Holy Spirit, the Word of God, Peter is the messenger, and these people are coming under conviction to say, what must we do to be saved? And Peter says, you are to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord, and then you will be saved. And he pleaded with them, and he talked with them. And to be honest, I believe not only he talked with them, but remember there were 120 people that had already come to Jesus Christ. 120 people were amongst the crowd, out in the streets, boldly witnessing and talking about the wonderful love and the truth of Jesus Christ. Now, we know, you already know what is next. The story tells us the wonderful statement that with the birth of this church, there were 3,000 people. Now, just sit with that figure for a moment. 3,000 people that listened to Peter, heard the truth of Jesus Christ, and asked him into their lives that day. Now, I want to tell you something, and I feel pretty sure that you hadn't thought about this. Remember these people from all over the known world. They're not from Jerusalem, not all of them. Maybe there were some. I trust there were some from Jerusalem, but these people from all over the world. They didn't come to Jerusalem to stay. They came, they had just enough traveler's checks to stay for three days. Then they were going to go home and get back to their own lifestyles, their own businesses, their own families, their own property, their own. But now they have just had a life-changing experience with Jesus Christ. And what do they do? What do the apostles encourage them to do? What is a part of being a Christian for you, for me, for them? They're now going to be a part of a body of believers, the fellowship of the believers, just like you and I are supposed to do. Now, what I'm about to say for the next 15 minutes, or maybe an hour or two, I don't know. But what I'm about to say is applicable absolutely to you and me. It's not a story. It is a foundation for this church, for any body of believers, any fellowship, because in what these folks did 2,000 years ago, there is a power. And the scriptures and the story tells us that they devoted themselves now, I'm going to emphasize the word devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Now, what in the world did the apostles teach? What did they teach? Whom did they teach? What were the stories that the apostles told these new believers? They're now in fellowship. They're meeting. They're being together. They're living together. Some of these people... 
sent messages back home and says, I got to stay in Jerusalem a while. I don't know how long. But now they're, they're, they're being taught by the apostles. What are the apostles' teachings? Remember, the apostles have just walked for three and a half years with Jesus Christ. They have been taught by Jesus Christ. They've been discipled by the Master. They are teaching the truth of Jesus Christ and all that he has said to them over the past three years or so. That's what they're teaching, folks. Their Bible studies are alive. Their Bible studies are about the truth represented in Jesus Christ himself. And it says the people, those 3,120 people, are devoted to the apostles' teachings. I want to be there. I want to experience that. Are you thinking about being there? Are you thinking about devoting yourself to the apostles' teachings? And it says, and they were devoted to the fellowship. Now there's a real key right here at the first of this foundation on which they lived for years. And what you and I need to be aware of. They were devoted to the other brothers and sisters in their family, in their fellowship family. Just like you and I need to be devoted right here at King's Grand Baptist Church. They were devoted. That means that they were committed to them. They were submitted to them, to the other men and women in their fellowship. 3,120 right now, but it's getting bigger. It also says that they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, there are two places in this section of Scripture where it talks about breaking of bread, but this is not talking about eating their evening meal. It's talking about a worship of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that is represented when we come before the table and have the Lord's Supper. This is what it's talking about. It's talking about worship. They were devoted to the understanding that Jesus Christ had given his body and his blood as a sacrifice for all people who would come and believe in him and take his body and his blood and know that that was a payment for our sins, your sins, my sins. And they were devoted to the thanksgiving and the praise and the worship of Jesus Christ and the breaking of bread, celebrating the memorial. As Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. And they were devoted to that. It goes on to say they were devoted to prayer. I have said to you, We've had wonderful prayers this morning. I have celebrated the, the prayers of, of those of us that have prayed already here in this service this morning. Heartfelt prayers, meaningful prayers, prayers that were given to the Lord in honor and praise to him. And these people 2,000 years ago, these new believers, they were excited about having the fuel for the fellowship. The power of the Holy Spirit coming to them through prayer. Remember the group prayed for 10 days? 
Yes, I want you to be challenged by that. I want to be challenged by that. And now they were devoted to prayer as they were beginning their Christian walk. 3,000 brand new Christians did not know a thing yesterday. And now they are learning today and tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow the things of God and Jesus Christ. But it goes on. It says that they were in awe. They were amazed with the wonders and the sounds that all the apostles were doing. They had not ever, they were from Cappadocia and from Pamphylia and all these other places. They had not been around Jesus and seen some of his miracles, but the 120 had. And now, not only were the 120 talking about all those miracles, but they were doing miracles and signs right in front of the, the new fellowship, the church that has just been born. And if you go on, even if in your own study to the third chapter of, of Acts, you see it happen there. Peter and John are going to the temple and they heal a crippled man. You know the story. Peter walks up and says, I don't have anything to give you as far as alms or money or anything like that. But what I have, I do give you in the name of Jesus Christ. Get up and walk. And the man was 40 years old and he had never walked. Now, folks, that's either the truth or we got to put the Bible away and I'm not going to put the Bible away. So they're seeing these wonders and signs and they're amazed and in awe and impressed with the power of Almighty God. And it says, this next phrase is so important to you and me. It says that they were all together and had everything in common. Now listen carefully to me. I have said to you, I say to myself, my life does not belong to me. Your life does not belong to you. When you sign on to be a Christian, your life belongs to the Lord. And he even says, if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. But if you try to find your own life, do your own life, run your own life, you will lose it. Well, these people, brand new Christians, they were all together and had everything in common. That means that they were unified. Oh, how I pray for churches to be unified. How I pray for you and I to be brothers and sisters in a unity empowered by the Holy Spirit and the truth of Jesus Christ. If you're not committed to that, then I challenge you, I speak to you very directly. It goes on because the next phrase indicates the devotion and the uni unity and the fact that they were all together because it says sometimes that they even sold their possessions and their goods in order to give money to the people that were in need. Now, do you and I do the same things? <laughs> I see a couple of heads going, uh-uh. I have a few possessions. I will tell you that they're not idols, but I love my cowboy boots. 
Sorry about that, but I do. And I drive a vehicle that I've had for 11 years, so it ain't brand new. It's all paid for, folks. But I, little, I really like my little red wagon. But I sit before you, I am before you right now, indicating that if the Lord told me to give up my cowboy boots, they would be gone. If the Lord told me that you needed some money that I could sell my vehicle, then yes, if the Lord, and when the Lord tells me that, and he has done that in the past, yes, and he will do that if needed. But you and I have grown up being greedy. We are self, selfish. We say, this is my house, and this is my car, and this is my money, and this is my bank account. I'm sorry, folks, that's just not so. And the truth is, is that God has asked us to lay our lives on the altar. And that means all of these possessions that we have. In order to glorify him and minister to his people. And this was the power of the fellowship 2,000 years ago. They had everything in common. And they shared their homes and their properties. They even, some of those people from other, other regions. Now this is amazing. If you go over to the fourth chapter of Acts, you see this whole thing stated again that they sold their properties, they sold their goods in order to meet needs and take care of people. Then it says there was a man by the name of Joseph who was a Levite from Cyprus. Now, where is Cyprus? It's an island out from, from the Holy Land. And Joseph the Levite sent word back to his homeland to sell my property. The people in Cyprus sold his property, sent him the money, and he distributed the money to those that were in need. The next thing it says is that every day, Every day, they met in the temple courts. Now, I'm real pleased about this next statement. Because the temple courts had a porch out on the side of the holy temple there in Jerusalem. And it was kind of an outside sort of place, but it had a shelter over it. You know what that porch was called? Does anybody know? Come on. It was called Solomon's Porch. It's my last name, folks. That's my claim to fame. They met on my porch. No, King Solomon. But they met, and here's the key. They met at the temple for praise and worship and teaching and fellowship. Every day. I'm thankful we meet on Sunday. And hopefully maybe on Wednesday or some other times during the week. But every day. And these people were in the town of Jerusalem. And they were moving about. And they were walking up and down the streets. And they were praising God as they went to the temple. And they got to the temple on Solomon's porch. And they praised God. I'm sure people were stirred in Jerusalem. Hallelujah. And then it says... And they ate in their homes with glad and sincere hearts. 
How many times have you been to the homes of some people in your church fellowship? How many times do you meet with others and have a meal together? Now, we're talking about them breaking bread here, having a meal, having turkey and dressing and steak and potatoes and all the rest that we enjoy. How many times have you met with others? How many times do you invite people to your home? How many times would you say, well, you know, I know three couples there at Kings Grant Baptist Church. I'm going to invite them for a Friday evening meal. And we're going to eat and we're going to fellowship and we're going to share and we're going to we're going to pray and we're going to talk about the Lord and we're going to talk about life and we're going to talk about the good things that we have. With glad and sincere hearts, they ate their meals in the homes. So they met in the temple court and they met in the homes. You meet in the church building, you meet in your homes. It's called small, small group ministry. Okay? 2,000 years ago, one one final word, hang with me, we're rounding third base going toward home right now. But it says that every day, because they were gaining the favor of all the people, the people knew that they were excited, that they were different, that they were empowered, and every day, daily, the Lord was adding to their number those that were being saved. Do you understand that? I'm sorry. I was interim pastor of a little church in Suffolk a few years ago. Fine group of people. I loved them. I was there for two years. And I baptized one person, a beautiful little 10-year-old boy who loved the Lord, thankfully for him, but one person, this group of fellowship, these group of believers 2,000 years ago, it says every day, daily, daily, the Lord added to their number those that were being saved. What a powerful story. What an amazing thing. And if you go and you follow it on through, just a little bit later, it, the number goes to 5,000. And then a little bit later in the book of Acts, they don't even put a number on it. They just said the church has become a great multitude. Many, many hundreds of people, many thousands of people. Do you understand that this is the church? That this is the church of Jesus Christ, born 2,000 years, 2, years ago on the day of Pentecost. And you and I, here today, have the privilege of being a part of this church. We just need to be an empowered part of this fellowship, living in unity under the power of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of Jesus Christ himself as we share, as we witness, as we love each other, as we demonstrate through our love that 
He is Lord and we are his disciples and we want, we're excited about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Please take this story to heart. It is amazing and I appreciate you allowing me to share it with you. But don't, please don't leave it laying on this floor. Please don't leave it laying on this floor. It is for you and me to follow. Please pray with me. Father, I'm so thankful for this story. I'm so thankful that you have given it to us, that it's in your word that it celebrates the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the fellowship of believers. The fact that you can and do bring us together as Christian men and women and Christian families and church families. <laughs> and you give us the power and the wherewithal to be unified and to be sacrificial and to be serving and to be witnessing to be celebrating and worshiping and following you every day of our lives. I pray earnestly for everybody in this room to take this story to heart, to take it personally, to see it reflected in their own lives and in their own families and in this church. I thank you for this church. It is a church of power because you're truth is preached, proclaimed, and lived here. I just pray we'll do it even better and better and better. So bless us now as we go. Help us to go in the peace and in the joy and in the power of Almighty God. And we are always praying in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please go in that spirit and in that peace. God bless you today.